Well, welcome back to Antioch Community Church. It's great to have you on this Father's Day. My name is Andrew Storms. I'm one of the elders here. I was not originally scheduled to be up here this morning. It was Tyler Hardy, our lead pastor. But as Tyler and Chris, who is uh, out today um, at his sister's wedding that whole week, uh, we just met as an elder team and we figured out and just prayed about it and really felt a clear direction that this season over the next three weeks is a great opportunity for Tyler and Ashley Hardy and their family to take a little sabbatical. Just They have been running so hard, uh, moving into a new home, have a new baby. Tyler had been with Engage the Islands, and so we just felt a real peace about offering that to them, and they accepted it just to step back for a few weeks. So as you pray this week for leadership of the church, pray specifically for them that they would be so just invigorated with life and just refreshed coming out of this season, and we just want to honor them today. But I do also want to reiterate that it is a wonderful, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. What a great day to celebrate Father God, like in all seriousness. And as I was thinking about myself and being a father of four, the, the best thing about Father's Day, in all honesty, is simply being a father. And that's how the Lord views us. There's no magic formula to it. It's just he loves being our father. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of sidestep the series that we've been in, partially because I only had a few days to prepare. <laughs> but it does tie in a little bit. But if you were at the uh, college rally retreat this last fall, I apologize, you're going to hear the same message, but it's going to be fresh and it's going to be invigorating. We're actually going to walk down the, the most famous chapter, one of them in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 23. And we're going to unwrap the Father heart of God and how fitting it is today that we get to see him as our shepherd. We know from scripture, even in Psalm chapter 100, it says that we are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. So as we walk through this passage today, I want us to keep our spiritual eyes open to understand that we're not talking about physical sheep and a physical shepherd, although that's what David, that we'll get into in a minute, that's what he was. He was a shepherd, but we're going to see it from the aspect of Father God as the shepherd using Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we are his sheep. The Bible also says that we like sheep have gone astray, and we have to come back to who he is. So as you turn to Psalm chapter 23, if you promise to listen quickly, I'll talk quickly this morning. Everybody good? We find David, this young shepherd boy, we don't know his age, some guess about 13, 14 years old. He's on the backside of a mountain, and he is literally left alone with his father's flock. He has these sheep, but we know from stories later on that his father really doesn't have a whole lot of care for him because when we find the prophet Samuel coming to David's father, Jesse, and says, hey, I, want, I need to see all of your sons, present them before me. I'm gonna anoint one of them king. He leaves David out. So we know that there has to be some sort of strain on this relationship that the sons in the house are well taken care of, but David is just here out on the mountainside taking care of his sheep. It doesn't seem like his dad's even looking after him. And we know also that at some point along this journey of him being a shepherd, the task that he's been given by his father, that he is attacked by a lion and he is attacked by a bear, but he actually takes ownership of the flock and he ends up killing both the lion and the bear. That's what makes me at least think that the, the reason he wasn't so scared of Goliath is because that was somebody he could actually talk with versus a lion or a bear. And I'm not minimizing what happened with Goliath, but we see that he had already taken care of a lion and a bear before he even got to Goliath, but that was the first thing the people had seen. But I just figured reading this that his father really didn't have that great of a relationship with him. Perhaps that's you this morning. I'm not trying to 
stir emotions or, or invoke bad memories, but there are people in here, we have to be honest, that did not feel protected by your earthly father. As we celebrate Father's Day, I have an amazing father and I can celebrate him, but that's not everybody in the room. But I love what scripture says. It says that he is a father to the fatherless. So whether you were orphaned or whether your father was just absent in your life, it doesn't matter today. We serve Father God on this Father's Day and we're gonna show that he is our shepherd. Amen to that? We're gonna walk verse by verse through this. But before we begin, I, I do want to point this out from a protection standpoint of, of the Father. I think we have this horrible misconception in Christianity, and it's simply this, that the devil is trying to harm you, that he's trying to mess with you and just make your life miserable, and that could not be further from the truth. We know from what Scripture says that he's not trying to harm us whatsoever. He's actually trying to kill us and he's trying to destroy us. And that's why we need a protector. In John 10.10, 10, it says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. This is not a game. We don't just show up and think, well, I'm trying to serve God and not the enemy, not Satan. He is trying to kill you. He is a deceiver. He's coming after your life with everything that he has. The simple fact that you are sitting here today proves the point that Father God has protected you up until today. Can I get an amen on that? You may not have felt that in your life, but I can promise you, if you're still breathing and you're listening to this, you know that there's a Father that is keeping the enemy away from you. He has demanded your life, and Father God said, no, that's not how I handle my flock. I'm here to protect and give them what they need. Verse by verse, as we walk down, the first verse Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard mostly today. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The word Lord there, it's the same word. It's the same word for God, Jehovah. It's the same that we find in Genesis, the same God that has created the earth by simply speaking it into existence, who has made the land and the seas, who's hung the moon and the stars, that gave breath to all mankind. He said, that is the one. David said, he alone, that Father God, he is my shepherd. I shall not want. The NIV says, I lack nothing. Yes, he is here to provide for us 100%. He wants to meet our physical needs. Myself, my family, I'm a school teacher, but the school I'm at, we don't get paid during the summer. And so as a father, I have to do things to take care of my kids. My wife is amazing. She works part-time nights as a nurse, but I have to supplement the income. So about a month ago, I prayed and asked the Lord, what is it you want me to do this summer? And he told me two things. He said, I want you to work hard, and I want you to work often. And so there's a buddy of mine that I had done some remodeling work with. I'm not real skilled in it as I'm learning it. And I called him up and said, hey, would you be willing to employ me this summer? He said, absolutely. And day one, I knew this in my heart. I had to work hard, and I had to work often. First day on the job, he said, hey, I just want you to know I'm increasing your pay by $5 an hour this summer. And that may not sound like much, but do you know that work by the hour, that's a lot of money. That's a huge increase. Doesn't matter where you start. You start at zero or 15 Five bucks is a lot more per hour. And so I, I, I just smiled when he told me that. He was in the other room. I'm just like, that's totally God. And then two weeks ago, someone slips me a check at church. I honestly thought it was for somebody else. I was supposed to pass it along. I get in my car, and, and there's a check made out to me for $1,000. That is God just simply being faithful. It's not because I stand up on here and you know, speak a little bit here and there. It has nothing to do with that. He is Father God, and he wants to protect us. He said, I will give you what you need. You will lack nothing. 
but you've heard me speak before, that thousand bucks has already been spent. What I am more concerned with, true. Philippians says it, you know, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But what I really appreciate, the older I get, the more mature I believe that he has made me, I realize that's really more for my spiritual needs. I love Ephesians 1, 3. It's one of my favorite verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You know why that's important? Because then it doesn't matter if my paycheck doesn't meet. I've got the spiritual blessing that can get me through that. I'm not, my, my life isn't dictated by my circumstances, but I have the spirit of God living inside of me and now I can walk in perfect peace. I can lay down when my needs don't feel like they're met. I mean, we're Americans, let's be honest. We have our needs met. These guys that have been going other places, they, they realize what it's like to, to really depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm thankful that he protects us, but that he provides for our spiritual needs. Moving along, verse number two, it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. As I read this, I did a little bit of research because obviously I don't have sheep. I have not been a shepherd. But as you read the Bible enough, you can begin to see some different things. But I read about that this man had put an article out, and I found it fascinating. He said that, that sheep need to be able to be laid, like you need to lie down sheep. If you're the shepherd, you've got to get them to be at rest. So when we see this here, it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's how God puts us at ease, how he calms us down and rest. But there are four criteria that I learned that have to be met in order for sheep to be at rest to where they can lie down. If you're taking notes, I'm just gonna go through them quickly. The first thing that sheep have to have satisfied is their sense of hunger. You cannot have, a sh you cannot have sheep, if you're, if you're the good shepherd, you cannot have sheep lying down and being at rest if their bellies have not been filled yet. They have to have that need met. Point number two, not only do you have to be free of hunger, they have to be free of conflict with other sheep. Now, we know in the animal kingdom, they're always jockeying for position. They're trying to outdo. Obviously, they don't reason with each other. They don't talk. But they're, there's, they, if they're at odds and they, they know that some, there's a little skirmish going on over here in this part of the flock, that they're unable to be at rest. Everybody understand what I'm saying there? Free of hunger. They have to be free of conflict. They have to be free of outside influences, meaning like any bugs or ticks or gnats that try to get into their ears or in their nose or in their mouth. They can't really do anything with that. But if they're agitated constantly by outside influences, they are no longer able to be at rest. They have to be free of hunger, free of conflict with other sheep. They have to be free of outside influence. And finally, they have to be free of any fear. Free of fear. I found that fascinating that they're, they, they sense sometimes this pressure from the outside, be it wolves or other animals, the lion, the bear, and as I look at my life, I, I just, I understand this is that fear, no matter how small or how exaggerated, is simply a misunderstanding of who is actually in charge. When we look at our lives, we see that, like, yes, that's why I choose to walk in anxiety, because I haven't given it all to him. That's what we have to understand. When we know who's in charge, there's no fear, because all of the pressure goes on whoever the father is, whoever it is that is in charge. But we also know that sheep, you've all heard this before, it's not new to you, that sheep are stupid. They're dumb. The Lord isn't calling us that, but there is, there is some truth to that. But what happens is when we look at these four criteria that have to be met, it is not the job of the sheep 
to meet their need for hunger. It's not their job at the beginning to become free of conflict. It's not their job to rid themselves of outside influences, and it's really not their job to be free of fear. It's the job of the shepherd. And so as we see Father God as the shepherd, I begin to ask the Lord, then how do we as sheep, how do we have all four of these criteria met? Anybody interested to find out the answer to that? As I begin to pray and I look, literally God downloaded this to me and he said, I want you to read the Lord's Prayer again. And so as we look just briefly by memory from the Lord's Prayer, we know it says that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Watch this. Give us this day our what? He just satisfied our hunger. Point number one, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You're telling me that God has provided a way for us to be free of conflict with other people. That when we forgive as he has forgiven us, there is zero chance for me to be at odds with you if there's nothing but forgiveness in my heart for you. I am no longer able or capable to even be at odds with people within our flock, people within our church, because I am walking in the forgiveness that the Lord has given us. Right after that, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those outside influences come in, the gnats, the bugs, the ticks that try to get to us. Did you know that a good shepherd does not lead his sheep into the jungle? That's why you don't find sheep in the jungle often. Where do you find them? In a green pasture. That is strategic. He is doing that so that those influences, the bugs and all the things that come after them, that's not where they live. They live where there's trees and bushes and jungles. So that's why the good shepherd knows that when we say, lead us not into temptation, you're saying, take away those outside influences from me. And finally, we say that for yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and the glory for everyone. We're able to speak that through the Lord's prayer. He downloads and says, now I know that you are in charge. So there inside the Lord's prayer, he has literally met all four criteria for us to be at rest as a sheep. Can we say amen to that this morning? As we continue on, just in verse number two, the second part of it, it says that he leads me beside the quiet waters. Yes, that's a place of refreshing. Yes, you can go get drinks there, but as you think about quiet waters versus rushing waters, we know that if you were to look over the edge as David, as this good shepherd, he's talking about the sheep, as he leads us here and we have still waters, what you can see is your reflection. As you look down into that place where it's quiet, God begins to show you who you are. I can only imagine that if you've been out on the backside of a wilderness, you probably don't look too good. As I reflect on my own life, there's probably some things inside of me that I look at that I really don't want to see, that I wish they were not there. But he doesn't lead us there to leave us in the mess we're in. He doesn't want us to self-examine and say, wow, I've just got to, I've got to try harder. I've got to do things better. The reason he wants to show us the reflection of who we are is so that we'll get our eyes fixed on him. That is why he is taking us there. Back to the person that can save us. You know, I love what the Apostle Paul says. He never said that I might know myself. What does he say? That I might know who? Him. I want to know who he is. There is nothing wrong with knowing who we are in Christ. We have to know our identity in him, but we have to fix our eyes on him. Because the last time I checked, he is the author and he is the finisher of my faith, not me. 
I'm not the one in charge of that. Jesus himself, he was absolutely secure in who he was as the son of God, but it was his submission and his obedience that actually allowed him to become the savior of all mankind. That is not my opinion. That's what scripture says. Look at it. Hebrews chapter five, beginning in verse eight, it says, although he was a son, he knew it. He had seen the reflection of who he was. He was perfect. He was pure. He knew his identity, that he himself was Christ. But it said, although he was a son, it said he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect or having been made complete, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. He proves himself to be true. Everybody okay right now? Good? We're going to keep moving. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. To restore means to turn back to its original state. Yes, we know that we are a new creation. We are in Christ. We get that. But when he restores something, he wants to take it back to the way that it was originally created. So as I look at my image and I don't like what I see, I also remember in Genesis 1 that he says, I want to make man in my own image. So his desire is to take us back and restore us to the way that he has made us. Just briefly, I'm not going to read it, but do you remember the, the thieves on the cross and they're going back and forth and one of them's hurling insults at Jesus and the other one says, hey, we're, we're worthy to, to be crucified, but this man is perfect. Leave him alone. And he looks at Jesus and he makes this statement to him and he says, hey, Jesus, we, we deserve this, but he just says, remember me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, if you think about that word remember, I just, I have to ask, I have to wonder, was he telling Jesus just to make a mental note of him? Like, hey, I deserve this death. I have seen my reflection, and I agree with you 100%. I deserve to die, but if you would just remember me. Like, is he saying that when you, when you come into heaven, you're like, oh, I've seen that guy before. I think he was next to me on the cross. Is he making that? Or perhaps is the guy so broken in his life, needing that restoration, that he realizes that up on that cross next to Jesus, he's deserving, he is a mess, he is literally broken apart. All the members of his body have been ripped apart. All the members of his spirit are just all discombobulated. Is he saying, hey Jesus, can you take all of these broken pieces, can you put them back together, restore, can you remember me? Like, can you put me back together? And Jesus answers the prayer immediately, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. We serve a Jesus who is in the restoration business. It doesn't matter if you're the thief on the cross or you're sitting on the front row as a pastor. He is willing to come and restore you back to the way that he has created you. The next part of verse number three, it says that he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes in modern America, we think it's all about us. And like, what can I do to help serve the body of Christ? He said, hey, it's all about me. It's for my name's sake, for his purposes and for his, his intents. I also want you to notice that it says paths, plural, paths of righteousness. The path that he takes me down may not be the same path that he takes you down. That's why we see things differently from different angles. But all of the paths come together. They are paths of righteousness. As long as you're allowing him to guide you, he will take you along that path. Now, you and I, if we were writing scripture, if we were in charge, me personally, if I said, hey, you want to come follow me? I'm almighty God. I have this path of righteousness laid out. I'm going to take that path. I'm going to take it straight 
to the pearly gates. I'm going straight there. It's like the yellow brick road straight to the kingdom of God. That's what I would do. Well, what I find so fascinating is that if we look at this a little closer, we follow him, we're allowing him as the good shepherd to lead us and guide us. Look where the path of righteousness takes you. Verse number four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't that amazing that the path of righteousness leads you directly into the valley of the shadow of death? And our temptation is to curse every low place, every valley, every dark place. We think, well, I I must not be in his will. But in Psalm 23, he shows that, that he's leading us there. It says, I fear no evil. Do you know that fear really has two effects on you? It either paralyzes you or it causes you to run like crazy. But notice that David pins it here. He says, even though I what? Walk. I don't know about you, but me, if I'm going down a dark, scary alley late at night, and it's just me, I'm either hightailing it or I'm locked up somewhere. But you know how you know that it's easier to be free of that? Is when you have somebody next to you. And that's, I believe, what David hits on very quickly here. Because he says in verse number four, he says, for you are with me. I do want to point something out to you that if we miss, we can miss almost the entire revelation of what we're talking about here. In verse number one, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's talking about him in the third person. And later on in verse number two, it says that he makes me lie down. He's talking about God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. So he's talking about God as though he's somebody that he knows about. But now we find him in verse four. He's going through the valley of the shadow of death. And look what he says. He says, for you are with me. You know you're on the right path when you stop talking about him and you start talking to him. But he has made himself available in that dark place. I, I promise you, as real as I'm standing here, I cannot compete with the darkness that most of you have gone through in your life. If you're my age or even around that, I am so blessed. And I have prayed in all sincerity that God would keep tragedy far from me and far from my family. It's whatever he wants, but that has been my prayer. But there are some of you that have gone through some of the darkest things that you have no idea that the person next to you, they've gone through something just like you, if not even darker. And we just come here and we try to mask these things. We say, oh, well, God's going to take care of it. But he wants to show you, it doesn't matter what you've dealt with in your life, that he is literally standing right there next to you. You've talked about him. But when he takes you through dark places, when he takes you through death of a loved one or depression or whatever it is that you have been battling, when he takes you there, you're finally able to see it. He like snaps you out of it and said, you've been talking about me, but look to your left. And you say that you are with me. And he never goes away from it. The rest of the chapter, it's this dialogue. It's almost like he's forgotten about who he's writing about. He's like, well, I'm gonna, I want these people to know in 2018 how good he is. Wait, wait, I just forgot. You, God, you are with me. And he walks down the road with him. And he begins to speak to the Lord in verse four, the end of it says that your rod and your staff, you, they comfort me. And he realizes this whole time when I've been disciplined, when I've been corrected with the rod, when he's been trying to steer me down the right path, I thought it was painful and I didn't know what he's doing. But now he said, now that I know that you're here, those are a comfort to me because I know that the presence of the rod and the staff reveal the presence of the one that is carrying them. And he has taken it with us, taken it 
through the valley of the shadow of death. And verse number five, picking it up as we begin to wind down, it says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, when you're going through some of the darkest places of your life, if I polled you or had you come up here, a lot of you could say there have been some sweet times that the Lord has just been right there next to you. And you don't even understand it, but it's just the fulfillment of this scripture. Because when it uses the word prepare there, it means to set in order. When things weren't going right in your life and it seemed like this dark cloud was just hovering over you, God has set some things in order. And he says, I have prepared a table before you when everything else around you was just going crazy. That word table there actually speaks only of a king's table. It's a private, sacred place. We talked about getting alone with him. It's so that you'll know that it's just you and him on this road, on your path of righteousness, that he's taking you through these things, but he's there to bless you. The second part of that verse is it's you. Again, he's speaking to God directly. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. I also learned that good shepherds will pour oil on the sheep to rid them of the ticks, to rid them of the bugs. That's actually what keeps them away is that oil that they pour all over them. So there it is. It's like, God, in my darkest hour, it gets so hard to hold on and to, to, to stay on that straight and narrow. Yes, you're there to help me, and it's not a performance thing, but man, anybody ever just struggle, and you're like, man, it's a whole lot easier to sin when you're struggling? I mean, I not, well, maybe it's just me, but I know that that should be the case. It is hard when you get tired. Like, oh, no, but God, he, David realizes, he said, you've anointed my head with oil. You have kept me from those things. That's what he does as the good shepherd. So he takes us, and he leads us as we begin to wind down through these things, when it turns away from he and to you, and we know that the Father is there, and he anoints our head with oil, my cup overflows, we have to ask, well, what's the end product of this? Why, why even have life? Why even make us? Why even create us? What is, what is the goal of this? Am I just going to come out of the other side of the valley and say, well, that was a nice experience. Now I can go back and help pe- you know, pull people through, or is there something that he has in store for me? If you look at the world today and you go ask them, What's one of the biggest questions? They want to know, why am I here and how is this all going to end up? You have people making millions, possibly billions of dollars worldwide on fortune telling and you know, trying to read cards and read your palms and all that nonsense. The re- reason I say nonsense is because Scripture tells me right now in this verse, it shows me what's about to happen in my life for the rest of my life, and I love it. Look what it says. I speak this over you in Jesus' name. It says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow you all the days of your life. That word surely is an emphatic, it's like, yes, it's gonna happen. They're going to follow me. We know goodness, loving kindness, mercy. When you look up the word follow, it actually says in the original text that it pursues you, it runs after you. It's like a dog chasing something. So here you are in your life and you're coming down this dark place, you're like something's nipping on my heels and something's chasing me out of here. It's goodness and mercy, it's goodness and loving kindness that he says is gonna stay with you all of the days of your life. What an amazing God we have that he walks us through the darkness only to bring us out into our destiny, which is goodness and loving kindness. I can lay my head down at night because I know goodness and loving kindness, they're hunting after me like, hey, come find me, here I am. Again, not necessarily physical, but I'm talking about the spiritual. I want his goodness and his loving kindness. Some of you, I just put this as a little side note, There's a lot of you that don't sleep well. I know that for a fact. You toss and you turn, and you're trying to figure out your mind races. You're just not at ease. 
If that's you, I want you to write this verse down. Proverbs 19, 23, it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. That is a gift that the Lord has given us. Don't buy in to the notion that it's always going to be like that, that you just can't be at rest. We have the good shepherd. He's freed us of our hunger. He's freed us of the conflict, of the outside influences, and we don't have to fear. He is a good shepherd. And finally, to finish it off, it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word dwell simply means to remain or to abide. That's where we're always going to be. But what's interesting is when you look up that word forever, it speaks of a length of time, yes, but it only refers to days. Well, here on earth, we know we have days, but we also have nights. But the word forever there is only speaking of days. There's only one place I can think of that it's constantly daytime. Anybody want to take a guess? Heaven, that's right. So is he taking us down this road just so we can survive and just so we can one day walk before him? And I'm not minimizing that. One day we can get to heaven or is there something greater? But now we rewind and we go back to the Lord's prayer. And what does he say? He says, let thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. So this passage, all of Psalm chapter 23, isn't just leading us to that great glorious day. It's leading us to right now. You can walk in perfect peace. You can have the goodness and the mercy of God following you all the days of your life. You can abide inside of his house, inside of his dwelling forever. Your day can start today. Amen? If you would, go ahead and stand to your feet. Band, if you'll make your way back up here and... If you're one of our life group leaders, I'm going to ask that you would just come forward and be available. Finishing this out, I just have to, to revisit the question, like, what is this really all about? Why would a God in heaven, why would he care so much about protecting us? Why would he want to walk us through the darkest moments of our lives? Why did he bring you here this morning? Some of you may be asking that or... Why not somewhere else? What's the point of this? Does he really, does he need us? I mean, like, does he? Is it, what, what is this? Just a game? Is it life? But as we look closer at Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, I love these two verses. It says that Jesus went up on a mountainside, and it says he called to him those that he wanted. Sometimes we have this prayer, God just used me, and he says, I'm going to use you, but I want you to know I just want you. That's what we're talking about on Father's Day. I don't need anything from my kids. I just want to be their dad. I just want to spend time with them. I just want to take them through things and show them. That's why he's here. That's why he says that. In verse 14, it said that he appointed 12. It said that they might be with him. Sometimes in Christianity, we leapfrog that. We jump over it and we miss the whole goal. He just wants to be with us. What a great day today on Father's Day to allow him to be your father, to allow him to speak life into you. He wants you today, guaranteed 100%. My question to you, though, is how long has it been since you have felt close to him? You feel like you've been going down these paths of life, and he's not there. Do you talk about him? Or have you gone through things? Are you currently allowing yourself to talk to him? He just wants to dialogue with you. Maybe you, as I'm saying these things, you're just like, I, I haven't felt him. 
Like I haven't felt a physical touch, I haven't felt a spiritual touch. We have beautiful men and women of God that literally I felt the Lord say, if you just need a hug, guy with guy, girl with girl, just to, to cover the Father's love, true. They're up here for that today. If you just say, man, I am just, I haven't felt the Father, I just need somebody to give me a hug and pray over me. That is what we're here for. We're not here to play games and mystify things. Like this is real life, it's the real deal. And sometimes we struggle and sometimes we hurt. Before I pray, I hope they can do this here in the back. We're gonna put back up the entire Psalm 23 bit by bit and we're gonna read this out loud together and you are going to speak this into your spirit. I'm prophesying this over your life and into your life, but it's not me, you're going to say it. Amen, so we're gonna follow along. Here we go with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, I am so grateful for you this morning. Father God, what a beautiful opportunity on Father's Day to come before you and just say that you alone are the good shepherd. You have taken us. We have talked about you, but we want to talk specifically to you this morning. Lord, I'm thankful that there are people here that are being stirred in their spirit, not to respond for number's sake, but to respond to the call that, God, you want to just meet with them again. You desire a relationship with us. The only way we get to the Father is through Jesus. We understand that. Holy Spirit, you have come to, to quicken our hearts, but we want the Father today. We want to speak to him. Lord, I pray that anybody here that is struggling to know the love of the Father, that they would open up their mouth, that they would open up their hearts, and that they would receive all that they have from you. Lord, we're so honored by your presence. I'm thankful for your words of life. I'm thankful for King David that was able to pin this at a young age. We can read it today and receive life from this. We love you. Today on Father's Day, we give you preeminence. We say you alone are God, and we give you that place in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.